This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast with me, Phil Kittramelides and Sid Lowe. Hello Sydney, how are you doing? Hello Philip, how are you? I'm alright, thank you. Um, you're going to Vallecas this evening, which is exciting for you. It is, I'm very disappointed, I'm sorry. This should have been a TSFP evening out, unfortunately the tickets uh, are no longer there. And after you'd made the effort to go and get them for us as well, that's a terrible thing. Listen Sid, you could have gone yesterday to get them and you didn't. Well, if I'd known they were on sale yesterday, I thought they were going on sale on Monday morning. They were on sale yesterday. You've let me down. You've let your son down. You've let my son down. <laughs> and most importantly, you've let me down. Yes, so, yes. Yeah. yeah, I know. I know. Anyway, Sid's going to Rio against Celta this evening. I am not. There are no tickets, but Sid is accredited. I'm not in the least bit bitter at all. Um, there are other things for us to talk about, apart from Sydney's um, treacherous incompetence in terms of getting the tickets. <laughs> <laughs> you, <laughs> Sorry, I'll leave it. I'll yeah, leave it. I'll you leave say it. this as if it was actually my job to go on Sunday, and, and I even knew about it. That's such a tragedy. In fact, our, yeah, our, no, conversa- I'm, I'm, our conversation yesterday actually involved us both saying, "Ah, we'll be all right to just turn up a couple of an hour before kickoff," <laughs> didn't it? Yes, yes. It's yes. such a pity. Such a big, yes. big pity. There we go. We've, we've got the episode name there: treacherous incompetence. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> Actually, I won't make the obvious political joke that I was about to make, but I think you can guess what it probably was. Uh, match day 12, then, in La Liga, saw the following set of results on Saturday. Uh, Vinicius Jr. scored two brilliant goals as Real Madrid beat Elche uh, 2-1 at the Estadio Martinez Valero. It's Elche's first home defeat of the season. Uh, Sevilla continued their 100% record at home, five wins out of five for them. They beat Osasuna 2-0. It's Osasuna's first defeat on the road of the season. Valencia won the regional derby against Villarreal by two goals to nil, ending a run of seven consecutive matches without a win for Jose Bordalas's men. And then Barcelona drew 1-1 with Alaves at the camp now in the first game post-Ronald Koeman, although it wasn't particularly different. Uh, Sunday saw Cadiz and Malaga, uh, sorry, Cadiz and Mallorca play out uh, a very entertaining game at the Estadio Nuevo at Mirandia. Mallorca once again conceding in injury time to draw 1-1. They conceded two goals in injury time the previous weekend at Mestalla to draw 2-2. They conceded uh, as well at Real Sociedad in injury time to lose 1-0. They've conceded a lot of injury time goals and they really should be further up the table. Uh, Then you went to the Wonder Sydney to see Atletico Madrid beat 
Real Betis by three goals to nil in the absolute pissing rain. It was really quite impressive how much water was falling on the Spanish capital, but it didn't deter Atletico, who arguably put in their best performance of the season. Just a couple of kilometres to the southwest and just as wet, Getafe beating Espanyol by two goals to one. Getafe's first win of the season on their 12th attempt they're still bottom, but things are looking a bit brighter under Kike Sanchez-Flores. And then it was the Bas Derby, Real Sociedad and Athletic Club played out a dramatic 1-1 draw. So today is Monday. We've got two games, Rio against Celta, hashtag treacherous incompetence, and Levante <laughs> against Granada. Uh, before we get to the talking points, over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP, our patrons get a new episode of TSFP Presents Messy Moments. Well, they got it over the weekend. We discussed Messi's header against Manchester United in the 2009 Champions League final. This week, we'll have a Q&A pod answering your questions and a bonus pod discussing the midweek Champions League games. Join us from just over four euros a month, just over a euro a week. Eh, it's pretty good value. You also get producer Al's um, daily paper reviews, so you're right up to date with everything that happens in Spain on a daily basis. Let's start with the talking points then from match day 12. We'll start with the leaders, who are Real Sociedad. They're a point clear at the top of the table, although it could have been better for them, of course. They were leading, uh, heading into injury time. By a goal to nil, it was scored from Alexander Isak from the penalty spot. But Ikemuyain with a well-struck free kick that was punched bizarrely into his own net by Alex Romero in the Real Sociedad goal. I know you've been writing about Alex Romero today, Sid, so we try not to have too much overlap with your Monday Guardian <laughs> column, but it's probably going to be a little bit difficult today because that really was the the big talking point of this game. Real Sociedad very, very close to a, a really, really important victory, but denied at the death by that goalkeeping error I just wonder we've said this season about Real Sociedad that they might not have been as sparkling in terms of their football as they were in the last season or when Martin Odegaard was there but there seemed to be a, a maturity about this side even though it's a very young side they seem to be closing out games and winning matches where they hadn't necessarily been completely brilliant here they lack that maturity that lack that know-how to seal out what should have been a deserved victory yeah, I think that's probably right, actually. Um, it didn't feel like this was likely to happen because they were um, a man up and a goal up because, of course, Inigo Martinez had been sent off because they'd scored um, with a penalty really quite early on. I think it was 55 minutes. And it's true that Atletico threatened a few times, but the threat was never particularly overwhelming, wasn't it? This wasn't a game with lots of chances. And as we went into those last 15, 20 minutes or so, it felt like that threat had gone. Uh, Real Sociedad made a couple of changes. They put an extra central defender on. It felt like they got control of the game. Mendy in particular, I thought, played very, very well. And it felt like the combination of him and uh, him and Mika Marino in the middle had basically had control of this and that, that this wasn't going to be a problem for them. They, I suppose, if we are going to talk about kind of that expertise and that ability to close out a game when you're not necessarily playing well, then, you know, you could write this off as a bit of a fluke. You could write this off as, well, this kind of thing happens. But if you look at the way it happens, you give the ball away, you give a free kick away in a dangerous position, and then you have the goalkeeper make that mistake. And, and I actually really quite liked what Fulby Mendy said after the game. Uh, he was asked about Romero's error. And he said, well, look, his is the most visible error, but this is actually a, a, a chain of errors because mm. it's Lobete who gives away a free kick that he probably doesn't need to give away on the edge of the area. 
I mean, that might be unfair because Munayin is coming inside. But I think there's a lot of bodies there. He maybe doesn't need to make that challenge. And then, as you say, the free kick is well hit. And my, I must admit, my first reaction uh, was, wow, that's a brilliant goal. And then you watch it again and think, oh, actually, it's not a brilliant goal. It's, there's nothing really wrong with a free kick. And Munayin himself, after the game, admits that he said, I wanted to get it reasonably hard and on target, knowing that it might touch someone and go in because the ball is mm. wet. The ball is wet and it moves quickly off, off. Well, he doesn't actually say the word off people's heads. I assume he doesn't mean it just moves quickly um, through the air. But obviously, in the end, the thing it hit, the thing it diverted off was the, was the fists of the goalkeeper who went for it, well, as I've just said, with his fists rather than with his palms, which struck me as a slightly strange decision, to be honest. Hmm. This game did have sort of all the Basque derby elements that we would have wanted, obviously played in the absolute pouring rain, a packed house. It was sold out at the Real Arena, the, the highest ever attendance, by the way, at the newly refurbished Real Arena as well. Terrific atmosphere, beautiful mosaic beforehand as well. Good travelling support as well, as well as athletic fans dotted all over the, the stadium, as is the case in this a pretty unique derby. So it had everything for a, for, for a big spectacle. Did it live up to it for you? Did, did you enjoy watching it? Yes, I did enjoy watching it, but not because the football was particularly great, but for all yeah. of those things that you're talking about. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I think, you know, before we get onto the football, I think, I think that's genuinely important. You know, this is mm. the first time they've had fans in for free, uh, 630 days. Um, there's been, I think since lockdown, I think there's been three meetings between these two teams. One of them is the Copa del Rey final that they waited their entire lives for and then mm. waited an extra year for on top. Um, and yet, this still felt special, despite having had the biggest Bass derby in history in this period without fans, precisely because mm. more than any other derby, I think this is a derby where it's about the people who go to it as much as it's about the people who play in it, or it's about the identification, at least, with the people who play, between the people who play in it and the people who go to it. And I think that's really important. And I don't know about you, possibly the Seville derby, but I can't think of any other pair of clubs who would reach a Copa del Rey final and agree to wait, agree not to play it. Agree to f- f- forego European football. Forego European football, yeah. And, and yeah. have some players forfeit their chance of playing the biggest game of their entire careers hmm. um, to wait for the fans. And, and they waited as long as they could because they've basically been told, listen, if you don't play it before next year's Copa del Rey final, you don't play it at all. Um, and, and, I, and so I think that tells you that it matters that the fans were there and that's really important. And so I did enjoy it because I enjoyed it because of that sense of occasion. And I enjoyed it because that sense of occasion plays a part in the football that's played. And I think in part it's true, plays a part in making that football worse because <laughs> the game is so aggressive, so quick, so intense, so kind of driven by this idea that oh, this, this is our everything, that sometimes there isn't time or, or patience or the calmness for, for precision in the game. And there weren't very, mo- very many moments we thought, oh, that was a lovely bit of skill or that's a really nice move. I thought there were moments from, I've already mentioned, Fubi Mendy. There's one lovely touch from Yanusai, who admittedly didn't have a great game, but lovely no. touch from, from him. Uh, there were moments from Marino that, that I liked. There was the speed of Iñaki Williams, which obviously, more often than not, didn't lead to anything. I thought the defending, by the way, on Williams of Elustonda was brilliant. Um, a, couple of, a couple of really, really good challenges he made. But it was more than that. It was just his, his ability to match Williams, seemingly for pace. And, you know, mm. if there's one thing Iñaki's got, it's, it's, it's pace to burn. Um, and, and so I, I, I really enjoyed it from that point of view. It wasn't a great game. And I enjoyed it for the way that it ended in terms of this late goal, which makes it feel dramatic. But I also think that that kind of 
it kind of played to this idea of the Bass Derby being different. The fact that the first people to Ramiro to comfort him at full time are athletic players, mm. not Real Sociedad ones. And that felt significant as well. And again, I realised that sometimes we, or well, me, I'm personally responsible for this, look for symbolism or look for things that mean something or feel like we're seeing things that mean something, which maybe don't sometimes, mean as much as... Sometimes we even play amateur psychologist. We well. do sometimes even play amateur psychologist. Um, but I thought, I thought that too was, was kind of important because it was symbolic of why this rivalry is a bit different. And you've already mentioned it, by the way. You see the moment when the ball goes in and you hmm. see Ikamunayin turn and run as fast as he can to Marcelino Garcia Torral on the bench and the bench kind of runs towards him. Not the physical bench, the people sitting on it. If the yes. bench actually started running, that would be quite bizarre. Uh, they, they all run towards him. And in the background, you can see, as you've already said, in that particular shot, maybe only two, I think, red and white hands go up in the air and celebrate. Mm-hmm. But then as it pans back, you can see, I'm guessing here, and there's no way of judging, maybe 100 athletic fans dotted around the ground, not in the athletic section of mm. which I think it's 548 in the athletic section. Um, and it was just a, an occasion. And that's what this derby is, really. It's almost not about the football, if you sort of mean. I do see what you mean. I see exactly what you mean. Um, athletic sort of scoring. And, and obviously, it would be ridiculous to suggest that they've ended Real Sociedad's title hopes. Ridiculous, perhaps, to suggest they even had title hopes they are still top of the table and they're still playing very very well I just wonder emotionally perhaps that's why everybody was so sort of distraught at the final whistle not just because it was the derby but because they were on a roll this was a chance to go three points clear at the top of the table against their rivals and they blew it they're still top they're still one point clear having played a game more but I I don't know it just felt emotionally significant that these two points were dropped in terms of Real Sociedad's whole league season and, and where they might end up I think maybe I'm right. reading too much into it I don't no know. I think you're right up to a point um, I think I think you know you can still say afterwards well they're still unbeaten they've still not been beaten since the opening day of the season they're still top of the table but I think you're right by being three points clear at the top of the table, it meant that they were, at least in terms of points, top of the table, whatever happened in the game that Real Madrid have in hand. That's mm. no longer the case. Which so is this, against Athletic. Which is against Athletic. <laughs> yeah. um, did you know, by the way, uh, and I remembered this, but didn't remember it, and then I was reminded of it and went and checked. The last time the Real Sociedad had had a start to the season as good as this was 2002-2003, when they nearly won the league. Mm. They went the whole of the first half of the season unbeaten. They were winter champions without losing. When they finally lost, it was in February, and guess who it was against? Yeah, you're going to tell me. It was Athletic Club Bilbao, of <laughs> course. Um, and and so, so, yeah, maybe there is a sort of symbolism there. I think, I think you're right. This maybe just sort of knocks them back a little bit in terms of whether or not they start to embrace the idea of being potential candidates. I don't think it should knock them back, but it, mm. it may do that. I think it's been interesting the last week or so to hear people at Real Sociedad at the very least entertain the idea well, maybe that's a bit strong to say they entertain the idea, but not just totally dismiss the idea of being league mm-hmm. leaders and this mattering. You know, you still hear this word anecdotico a lot, that it's just an anecdote, it doesn't mean anything at the top. But I think they'd started to think that actually it might mean something. Um, mm-hmm. And this damages that a little bit, but I don't think a huge amount in that, in the, you know, it's a bass derby. This, this kind of thing can happen. And they're still top of the table. And they are still top, yeah. After 12 games as well, which uh, it's, a, it's a significant portion of the season. It Sid, is. In terms, of, in terms of percentage, could you calculate the percentage of the season gone? Well, look, I'm just going to make it easy and go it's a third of the season, which takes us to 36 games. Now, I know 38 is a total of the season, so it's not quite there, but it's, but it's not far off. 
Yeah, regular listeners will know that A, we're terrible at maths and B, we've uh, we, already tried rather tried. unsuccessfully to calculate the percentage <laughs> of the season gone uh, in recent weeks. So maybe we should we should, we should should stop doing that. Uh, Bath Derby was absolutely uh, great in terms of a spectacle. And you're right, this is a derby that isn't necessarily about the football. It doesn't always deliver in terms of being um, aesthetically pleasing footballing spectacle, but everything else is, uh, is usually pretty great. Uh, we've got the Seville Derby next weekend as well, which is... All of this, plus actually usually quite a lot of goals and excitement as well. Yeah, so, tends to be a better um, game. That is true, yeah. Usually. Uh, let's move on because there are loads of other things, loads of other things uh, for us to talk about. Uh, you were at the Wanda Metropolitano braving the really, really heavy rain to see Atleti beat Betis by three goals to nil. Um, I said at the start, this was arguably Atletico Madrid's best performance of the season. I, I think it might be, no? Yeah, I think so. Um I think their their use of the ball was good from start to finish. They didn't at any point really feel like they were in trouble. That said, there was a period, I would say, just before they got the second goal, where they'd missed a lot of chances and you, you kind of start and it, and the momentum waned a little bit. I mean, it didn't go out of the game completely, but it, it dropped a little bit. And you, you started to think, well, I say you, I started to think, given the way this season has been for Atletico... I wouldn't rule out them blowing this now because you had uh, a sort of a 15-minute period when uh, early in the second half when Betis made a couple of semi-decent chances. They made a couple quite early in the first half and you just thought, I just wonder if they'll get caught again. They didn't. They got that second goal. It was kind of funny, really, because uh, particularly Jose, uh, Jose Maria Jimenez, um, he kept going up for corners and getting headers that weren't going on target. And then he goes up for a corner, he jumps and he gets beaten to it by the defender. And the defender produces this fabulous header into his own net you just think all that effort all that effort you can't score and and Petzela goes and does it for you and from that moment on then it was done uh they they I think there is another difference though with comparing this game to previous ones and that actually is the presence of Jimenez and Savic I think it makes a big difference I think I think defensively they've been really weak this year and I think they need those two and they need those two in good form and I think Mario Hermoso needs those two as well because I think he's a good player with the ball, but I don't think he's as good a defender as those two. And so I think I think his role will be a much better one with those two alongside him than it, than it has been when they've been absent. João Felix was dropped to the bench. In came Angel Correa. Uh, do we attribute Atletico's very strong performance to not playing the front three of Felix, Griezmann and Suarez? Or is that no, unfair? No, we don't. I don't think. And one of the reasons why I don't think that is that in a way they sort of did play them. Uh, let me mm-hmm. explain what I mean by that. Is that when they have played them before, I think we have talked about it as being a problem, not so much because of the personnel, but because of the attempt to kind of crowbar them into a structure that doesn't necessarily convince. What I thought was really interesting about this was that he didn't play Jao Felix from the start, Diego Simeone, but he did still play three forwards. So it's like he was persevering with that structure, even in the absence of one of them. And so you had Suarez uh, with Griezmann slightly to the left of him and Correa slightly to the right of him. And of course, that's very easily fixed when you make a substitution and put Jao Felix in because either he goes to the left or he goes to the right and the other player goes to the left or the right. So that structure was more or less maintained with what you could broadly speaking say is just a two-man midfield. They almost played 5-2-3, except, of course, that the two wing-backs, Trippier, and Carrasco step into midfield. So mm. maybe you can call this a 3-4-3. Three, three. Mm. Maybe. Uh, Trippier much more defensively minded than Carrasco, of course. So it's, it's not actually entirely symmetrical either, the way that they do it. Um, I asked Simeone about this after the game um, because I wondered if this was... I said to him, you know, have you actually found your structure now? Is this it? Because, of course, 
we've talked about this before. We know that in the summer when he was trying to persuade Griezmann to come back, one of the things he was saying is, you know, get you, Suarez and Jao Felix into the team and we're going to win things. This is going to be really good. But that structure doesn't always convince us. And as I say, even without Jao Felix, who, to be honest, I think he was largely resting for Anfield rather than anything else. Yes. Um, even without those, those three, he still played that structure. So I said to him after the, asked him after the game, have you found your structure now because you know you, you you've been sort of trying to find different formations and he said basically he said no which I thought was interesting but he explained it and, and Simeone's quite good like this uh, I think his first few seasons at Atletico he didn't explain it. it would always be about cojones and effort and all this but he now talks about mechanics much more than he ever used to and he said look we pick a team a, uh, what do you call it in English in consequencia uh, according to or Conditioned conditioned by or according to the players we have available. And he said, and you have to not forget that we didn't have Lamar or Llorente available. Uh, Well, the ones he mentioned were Lamar and Llorente. And he said, and those are normally our interiores, our inside Mm -hmm. midfielders. He said, so without them, we went for an extra forward, he said, but with a balance of hard work. And so that makes you, to come back to your original question, that makes you wonder if maybe that is where Correa is different from Jao Felix. You get that effort as well as the technique and the quality. But I, I, I don't think it's about the absence of one of those three because, as I say, I was surprised how attacking he was. And to be honest, I thought that midfield would be exposed with just the two of them in there. But both Cocker and particular uh, dot were both very, very good indeed. I don't think we need to put any dots in there. I think we can just call him RDP. Can we? I suppose yeah. it's, he's not insisting on them. Yeah, I mean, he's not insisting. This is this so. is about allowing people to define themselves and identify themselves the way they like. And R dot D dot, hang on, which one is it? T dot does want the dots. I'm not yes. sure that R D P does. RDP I'm really lost now. Of course, <laughs> yeah. he's uh, turning into a, a really terrific signing for Atletico Madrid. Yes. We've spoken about him in recent weeks as well, and on, on the podcast, and we continue to be very, very impressed by him and that. Midfield of him and Koke looks pretty tasty as well, and and you've probably got Lamar to come back into it. Yes, I think, I think that's so. Probably the the first choice uh, midfield three at the moment for for Atletico. As you mentioned, uh, Jao Felix on the bench. He's probably going to be rested for Anfield. Antoine Griezmann suspended for that trip to Merseyside yeah. in. In midweek, uh, we were a little bit support, uh, disappointed by by Betis. I think no Nabil Fakir. He'd started every game in in La Liga, every game in Europe as well. So he was due arrest. He was also on four yellow cards and mm. a booking against Atletico would have seen him miss the Seville derby next weekend. Uh, obviously an understandable decision to, to rest him given those yellow cards and all those minutes, but a little bit disappointing because he's such a good player. Yeah, I mean, it's disappointing when you're going to the ground and you're on the way there and you hear that he's been left out and you think... Uh... Well, you think something that sounds a little bit like his surname. And you sort of, you know, because he's enjoyable to watch. It's not just that he's been good this year. It's that he's different to other players. You know, he, he takes people on. He's very, he, he's very direct. He's very skillful. He'll do a trick, but he'll also do the kind of run where literally people bounce off him. Because he's, so, he's really, really strong with it. He, he, he turns very quickly. His com- combination with, with Canales is really, really good. The doubts this year have always been about the other four, which looks increasingly like it's going to be, going to be Juanmi more often than not, which, hmm. which maybe is slightly surprising. Obviously, without Fekir, they played Rodri on the right, who's a player that I like. Um, didn't actually have a, a, a huge amount, didn't do a huge amount in this game. But yeah, it was disappointing. And, and I was disappointed a little bit with Betis. Um, but, you know, this is a team that, Correct me if I'm wrong, I was looking at the stats on Sunday morning. I think no team in Europe has lost fewer games in this calendar year than them. Although that might have changed with this defeat, I don't know. 
Maybe they've only lost to the Champions League sides in this calendar year. So Real Madrid, Barcelona, Atletico and, and Sevilla. Which, by and... the way, poten- potentially poses the question as to whether they're really that good, if you sort of mean, in that they're really good. With, they're the best in the, in, of the rest of the teams, if you sort of mean. But maybe they don't have quite enough to step up to the really good ones. That well, they're not would, the best be the... of the rest, because the best of the rest are Real Sociedad, who are top of the table. Well, they are at the moment, yes, but, but yes. if you sort of mean, the, 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 the teams that you would have traditionally say, should you yes. beat them, and the answer would be no, well, they haven't. Mm. I know what you mean, Sid, I know what you mean. They're, they're, they're playing in the Europa League as well uh, on Thursday, Betis, and they're going pretty well in Europe too. Uh, on to Real Madrid's performance at Elche. They didn't have Karim Benzema, but that wasn't a problem, because they had Vinicius. And they also had Mariano Diaz as well, who hadn't played for five months. Mariano, man, he could be he could be playing regularly in another team, but he just doesn't care. He's not leaving Real Madrid ever. He's holding on to that contract, occasionally getting wheeled out when Benzema misses a game. Actually, to be fair, he didn't play badly against no. Elche, provided a magnificent assist for Vinicius's first goal. And, yeah, did what was asked of him. But the the headlines all for Vinicius Jr., who scored those two fantastic goals. And they're two finishes that we didn't see him producing at the start of his Real Madrid career. Maybe he was scoring these kind of goals for Flamengo. For Real Madrid, he hasn't been scoring these kind of goals. And now he's starting to. Yeah, exactly that. I, I must admit, it's not often that I think the front page headline of Marker is really good. But I do like their their front page from sun, Sunday. The que, the, the que Planeta Viniste, Viniste, oh, which, which of course is the famous commentary from when Maradona scored that goal against England. Now, that is obviously pushing it. Let's not call Vinicius Maradona, but he is getting better and better. You're right, he's finishing in a way that he wouldn't have done before. There's a calmness in front of goal. There's a precision mm-hmm. that, that, you know, before there was a, a very quick player who sometimes ran out of pitch. He doesn't run out of pitch as often anymore. Um, he took them both very well. I think that, in my opinion... Kiko Casilla is scared on the second goal hmm. and it's, it's really slow to get to him. Kiko Casilla should get to that ball first and doesn't. Hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I very rarely sort of pick on players individually or, or, or say things like, why is he playing? But I do watch Elche sometimes and, and I find it difficult to understand why Edgar Badia is not playing and Kiko Casilla is, to be perfectly honest hmm. with you. Uh, but, that's, uh, but that's by the by and that's a very minor thing because, because Vinicius is, is much more important. He's the probably the second best player in Spain at the moment in terms of form with well, maybe the third, Benzema, Fakir and him, um, you would say. And, and he's, he's really very, very good indeed. He is... I know it's stating the obvious, but he's incredibly quick. And one of the things that he's really striking about him is he's quick from a standing start as well. So it means that while, of course, he's better if he's got space to run into, but he can also take a man on who's close to him because he can draw the man to him and then and then shift past them. He doesn't necessarily have to be running beyond them on the run. Um, and I thought Madrid, to be honest, I didn't think Madrid played especially well. This wasn't a great mm. performance by any means. In fact, Elche had two or three reasonably good chances. But fundamentally, you know, Madrid won again. 2-1 makes it sound closer than it was because, of course, Elche scored later on. Um, and, and, and Vinicius is very special indeed. Shall we, just a quick word on Mariano, by the way. The assist is good. Yes. He then also almost scored an absolutely beautiful goal just afterwards. When he's through and he does this incredible little dummy on the goalie. Uh, I mean, we've already established it as Kiko Casilla. And leaves him on the floor and then unfortunately yes. smashes it in the side netting. He just takes an extra touch. 
Yeah. He takes one extra little touch when he needs to hit that ball then that he decides to take a little touch and it just takes it a little bit too wide and, yeah, smashes it into the side net. It would have been good. No, listen, there, there were teams. I'm, that's, that's why I'm slightly frustrated with Mariano because there were teams, yes. decent teams that were interested, really interested, wanted to take him. Teams in the Premier League, okay, not top four teams, but teams in the Premier League were interested. Uh, he didn't want to go, Only would only go to a top, top Champions League side. Well, okay, he's not getting into Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester City or, or Manchester United. Um, Rio wanted him, same city. You don't have to move city. You stay in Madrid. You go and play week in, week out. He said, nah, not interested. Well, and also at Rio, he could have made more money because at Rio, Real Madrid were going to cover his salary and Rio were going to give him a bonus on top. He would have made more money going to Rio. I mean, and, and you know, you say, why, you know, why would you go to Rio when you were at Real Madrid? Well, yeah, maybe. But Radamel Falcao went to Rio. And to as you play say, football, play, to play football. To play exactly. football. Exactly. Yes, that's yeah. why. Because you're a footballer. Yeah. And you go to play football. Um, but anyway, uh, he's not going to play now for a while because he's got a broken nose. So <laughs> there we Two go. of them have. Uh, Casemiro broke his yeah. nose as well, didn't he? Yep, they both ended up in a heap on the floor in the 90th minute. And um, we're not going to see uh, Mariano for, uh, for a while. Uh, Real Madrid won. Barcelona did not. They drew 1-1 with Alaves. It has been a pretty tumultuous week for Barcelona. They lost the Clasico. They lost to Rio Vallecano. They then sacked their manager. And now they drew 1-1 with Alaves. It was not good from Barcelona. They did score a brilliant goal just after half-time. Memphis Depay with a really, really superb hip. I think that goal was maybe outdone by the one that Luis Villas scored at the other end a couple of minutes later. Absolutely sensational assist from Joselu as well to Real Madrid Youth Academy products combining for that goal, which uh, saw Alaves claim uh, another really good result. They've got seven points on their last nine. They're moving away from the relegation zone. They're climbing up the table, climbing closer to mid-table, which is where Barcelona are, their ninth. It's difficult, obviously. Did we see any discernible differences in the side selected by Sergi Barquan and how they try to play from Ronald Koeman's team? I don't know if I can really say yes. Um, I think there is a risk of looking too hard for it. So, for example, in the first half, when you start seeing moments where they press a little bit higher, you think, oh, that's a change. But is it? I mean, we've seen games when Koeman's Barca have done that. you know, And also, it wasn't maintained throughout 90 minutes. In fact, it wasn't maintained for much more than 40 minutes. Mm. Um, and so, I don't know that that's seeing anything different. I don't think that this was structurally enormously different. Not least because Koeman has moved through different formations. We've seen Koeman play 4-2-3-1, which you suspect is the formation he likes best. We've seen him play 4-3-3. We've seen him play with three central defenders. So, this doesn't feel like much of a change. The other thing is, even if there were things that are different... Is it really different when you've got a coach that's been, who's actually had the team, I think it's for two training sessions, not even that. So even if there is a change, is it really because anything has changed or if it's just kind of the circumstance of the game? Mm. Um, and, you know, the very fact as well that Sergi is publicly presented as, a, as an interim coach, you know, why would he make any big decisions? So, for example, even if Sergi comes in and thinks, right, for things to change at Barcelona, I mean, and I'm just making this up, all right? I'm not saying this is what will happen, but but just to, to, to put an example in place. For things to change in Barcelona, I need to rejuvenate this team. PK's out, Busquets is out, Alba's out. Let's say for argument's sake, all right? I'm not saying this is what will happen, but let's say Sergi comes in and thinks that. Why the hell would he burn himself in three games doing that? Mm. It's someone else's job. Let them do it. Don't worry about mm. it. Why would he take a bold step unless he knows he's helping the new manager 
to take that step. And even if he's helping the new manager, why would he have, you know, sort of take the, the abuse for it? And so I, I don't think when you've got an interim manager that you can really expect anything other than steady things. I suppose emotionally is the big thing. And Sergi did say this in his press conference, I've got to tell the players that they're good. And I must admit, after the kind of messaging that Kuman has come up with this season, I feel like that is a, a genuinely significant element. But I don't think we saw it in this game necessarily. Uh, there was a worrying moment just before half time. Sergio Aguero dropping to the ground, going off with, with uh, heart uh, arrhythmia. I think it is, isn't it? An irregular yeah. heartbeat, cardiac arrhythmia. Um, tests being done on him in the hospital. We hope it's nothing serious. We hope we'll see him back uh, pretty soon, playing for Barcelona, because his presence is something positive for Barca fans to try and grab onto in what has not been a particularly easy season. Uh, he's not going to be playing midweek in the Champions League in a must-win game against uh, Dinamo Kiev. Neither is Gerard Piquet, who who picked up an injury as well. <laughs> it's a massive, massive game tomorrow night against Dinamo Kiev. It's absolutely huge. Their, their whole season is conditioned by this match day four clash in the Champions League with Dinamo Kiev. Well, um, and next season as but, well. Isn't uh, it, right? That's exactly what I was about to say. Yeah, it's not just this season that's conditioned by it's. It's their budgeting for next year. It's, it's you know not being in this competition that they, they budget for. I think I'm right in saying that they budget for quarterfinals at least in the Champions yeah. League. Now, obviously, yeah. look, the thing that really impacts upon their budget next year isn't this. It's guaranteeing that they finish in the top four in La Liga. That's the thing that would really, really hit them hard. Is if next season they're not even in the Champions League, and of course, this takes you back to the Superliga. One of the mm. things those clubs wanted to do was protect themselves from the possibility of not being very good at football. You know, mm. and that's kind of the the the, the reality here. Um, yeah, I mean the, the Aguero thing. I mean, just just beyond anything else, you just really hope it's not serious, just because you know you you don't want that to happen to anyone. Um, and I suppose there's a certain degree of relief that this was something that that at least wasn't so serious that he was taken to hospital in an ambulance in a hurry, worried that he might not make it at all. You know, um, mm. but it's 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 certainly a concern, and I suppose at his age, is he thirty three? I think you know, if, yeah. if there is something that's there that's risky, that's problematic, then then I guess the natural thing to do would be to 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 to, to not continue. But mm. you know, I, I, I absolutely not going to get involved in, in in speculation of something as as, as serious as this. No, we await further updates. The club, at the time of recording, have not uh, provided us one. One have not provided us with one, so uh, we will wait and see uh, what the latest is with Sergio Aguero. A quick word on the game that you didn't go to and did <laughs> not see: Getafe yeah. against Espanyol. The day you don't go, Getafe finally win. Enesu now scores two unbelievably good goals, and they finally get their first win. So stay away, Sid. All right, for the yeah. good of. For the good of Catafe, don't ever go there again. Only 4,772 fans were there, which is a spectacularly low attendance for a Primera División match on a Sunday afternoon. It was really pelting with rain. There are no yeah. covers. There's no cover from the rain at Catafe as well. They were bottom of the table. They've been terrible. So uh, maybe can understand it, but it was a very, very poor attendance. Uh, but yeah, Getafe, they are on a slight upward trajectory under Kike Sanchez-Flores. One defeat, two draws and a, and a win from his four games in charge so far. And let's see if they can if they can move up the table as well. And if Enes Unal keeps scoring these kind of goals, then they've, they've got a real chance. He said after the game, Unal, um, we got our identity back. We have to be yes. aggressive. We have to yeah, be aggressive yeah, yeah. and we have to be competitive, which I thought was interesting because there's an implicit criticism there of Mitchell. 
which mm-hmm. I don't think is necessarily entirely fair insofar as if you employ Mitchell, it is because you are embracing a shift in style. Now, that's mm-hmm. not to say that the players embrace it, but at club level, at least you embrace it. So you have to see that through. Mm-hmm. And of course, they didn't. That said, with the squad they've got, it may well be that this is a better approach. I would also say, having just to add a caveat on top of the caveat on top of the caveat, under Kiko Sanchez Flores, they've fundamentally been quite dull. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this game, they, they actually played well. They've got, they've got their identity back. Well, that's it. I mean, and that might well be part of it. Um, but I thought they were very lucky to be leading. And, and it was very... I mean, you know, they complain that they concede a very late goal at Granada. But to be honest, they should have been destroyed by Granada. Granada should yeah. have scored three or four and they shouldn't have scored any. Uh, mm-hmm. The game before, they were playing Arambari on the right wing and Maximovic as a centre forward. Mm. Um, I mean... A bit, know, weird. I, I, a bit weird. But, you know, look, weird. obviously, you're a manager who's coming in who's trying to find, find the right structure and, he mm. ha- and the right players in that. And he has changed that kick essential for us. This, is, this seems to be him looking still. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, bottom line is he, he, he did get this result. The curious thing about this game, and I watched it back, although I, I wasn't obviously in the ground because I was on my way back from the Wanda Metropolitana and couldn't get across town quickly enough for this. They, they, were, they had a sort of a wobble having gone one nil up and playing quite well, they then conceded and then you think, here comes the vulnerability again. They're in trouble. Mm. And then they scored. And then they could go to the thing that they, 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 you know, they're trying to get better at, which is, is defending. There was a comment from Kiki um, Sanchez Flores after the game, which I really quite like. Where is the phrase? This will be, here we go, this will be Larga y Sufrida. So this will be long and hard, I suppose. But this is, this is, this is a task for hungry minds and broken hearts. And that is what we've what? got. That's what he said. This is a task for hungry minds and broken hearts. And that is what we've got. So that's what's going to carry us forward. So there you go. Hitafe, hungry minds and broken hearts. Isn't that a, I don't know what that means. Isn't that a Bruce Springsteen <laughs> song? I was just thinking. I think hungry hearts is a Bruce Springsteen song. Hungry mind and broken hearts is, is, is not a Bruce Springsteen <laughs> song as far as I know. But it's, maybe it's mixing Bruce Springsteen songs with any number of cowboy songs over the years about broken hearts. Slightly bizarre, but there we go. Uh, Kike Sanchez-Flores uh, overseeing Getafe's first win of the season. Uh, before we go, a uh, quick word on the Segunda. Almeria are four points clear at the top after beating Leganes 1-0 on Friday night. That result caused Leganes to sack Asier Garitano and a point, Medi Nafti, last seen in charge of Lugo. Lega are currently 20th with 10 points from 13 games. Not a good time for Super Pepino. Uh, Las Palmas are up to third after winning 1-0 at Real, Be- Real Sociedad B. Another goal for Jesse. Valladolid are now fourth. They beat second-placed Eibar 2-0 on Sunday. And a brace, including a 90th-minute winner from the mighty Borja Baston, saw Oviedo beat Malaga by two goals to one. He's now scored seven goals this season. Uh, this week in the Champions League, you've got Dinamo Kiev against Barca on Tuesday along with Sevilla against Lille and Villarreal against Young Boys. Then on Wednesday, it's Real Madrid against Shakhtar and Liverpool against Atletico Madrid. Lots for us to look forward to in terms of Spanish sides in action in European competition. We'll be back on Thursday to round up all that action on our bonus podcast for patrons. Before that, the Q&A pod, which will be out tomorrow as well. Loads of bonus content over on our Patreon page. Come and join us. It's good value. You'll like it, I promise. Um, Thousands of people have joined already and they can't be wrong, can they? Otherwise, we'll be back here as ever next Monday talking about Spanish football. Sydney, we'll speak then, my friends. Adios. Cheerio.